Well, good morning. This is the first official morning of frost. So put it on your counter. We had frost on, what's the day? 18th? Yeah, first day of frost. And y'all came out in the frosty weather. I'm glad you're here today. We had our men's advance last week. Men don't retreat, they advance. And, that's right. You think Marines are tough. Y'all see, anyway, <laughs> we had a great weekend. And the Lord showed up and we had beautiful weather. And so men, uh, many of us, uh, grew closer to the Lord, and we advanced in our spiritual life. And but it's good to be back here today and be with you guys, and and uh, know that uh, we're going to have a great service today. We're talking from the book of James. Now, the book of James, this dude talks straight at you. He uh, he he lets you have it in so many ways. And so this morning, I'm just going to let you have it. I'm going to give it to you the way James gives it to you, not the way I would. But anyway, uh, not really. But it is a great book, and we're trying to work through that. But it's gonna, we're going to have to break this up into many, many series uh, instead of trying to get through it in one series. And uh, so we're continuing our series, Under Pressure. There was a mother who told her uh, son not to go swimming. And uh, uh, when he came into the house, uh, his mother noticed that his hair and his bathing suit were soaking wet. And she said, Johnny, I told you not to go swimming. He said, well, Mom, I couldn't help it. I just couldn't help it. The water looked so good. She, she said, well, why did you take your bathing suit with you? And he said, in case I was tempted. You see, we're all tempted. And we're continuing our series under pressure. And because, you know, the strength of our faith is most often shown when we're under pressure. You know, I mean, when, we're, when life is good and we're not going through any pain or any suffering or we're not facing any temptations, life is good. It's easy to praise the Lord and be a Christian and have all this kind of faith, but it's under pressure that our faith is shown. Our faith comes through. And so today we're going to look at the pressure to sin when we're under the pressure of temptation. Now, temptations come as an attraction to sin. Temptations are an attraction to sin. Here's the definition of temptation. The act of enticement to do wrong by the promise of pleasure or gain. Now, we have an enemy, and we call him Satan, and it's just like him to get us to do wrong by promising us if we do wrong, something good is going to come out of our life. Something good's going to happen. So he comes along with temptation and he whispers in our ear, if you do this bad thing or thing that's not good for you, something good is going to come out of it. Now we're going to talk today, especially from James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. The last couple of weeks we talked about the trials that we all face, the trials of suffering and pain. And then right, right in the middle of James talking to us about the fact that we're going to have trials. He talks to us about there's going to be temptation. And right in the middle of that, he tells us we're going to need wisdom to handle the trials and temptations that come along. And Gay spoke last week so good about uh, wisdom. So James 1 through 13 through 15 gives us four facts about temptation that I will share with you today. The first temptation, uh, the first uh, is that temptation is inevitable. You're going to be tempted. The Bible says in James, verse 13, when tempted, no one should say. Now, James didn't say if we're tempted. Read that. He said, when tempted, no one should say. 
He didn't say if we're tempted. He said when we are tempted. So it's a fact. Just as trials and suffering and pain is a reality, so is temptation. It's a reality. And as long as we live in this world, uh, we're going to face temptation. You know, the Pope, you know how holy he dresses and looked all dressed in white and, you know, he, he just looked really holy. And he probably is really holy. But he's tempted. He's tempted. You know that, that uh, guy in a nice suit and the businessman and travels to D.C. and all that? He's tempted. You, you know the, uh, the, the housewife in Kieseltown? I mean, there's nothing in Kieseltown. <laughs> nothing to get in trouble with. That housewife in Kieseltown is tempted. That's gay and I. So gay wouldn't take it as her hometown. It's my hometown. She moved there. So she's really not a Kieseltown knight. Uh, the student at Mary Washington is tempted. Of the professor at a Bible college is tempted. The pastor at Chancellor Baptist is tempted. Not the pastors at Salem Fields, but the pastor at Chancellor Baptist. <laughs> Just kidding. You see, when we're under pressure, it leads to temptation, which leads to sin. When we're under pressure, we're tempted. We're tempted to escape. And that leads us to sin. You see, in our suffering and our pain, our enemy and our temptation, our enemy is quick to come along and give us answers and solutions to our, the pressure that we're facing. Like pursuing pleasure or taking this drug or doing, uh, you know, going out and, and drinking alcohol, getting drunk or, or shopping or eating, just doing something to numb the pain. The devil puts that before us or getting an attitude or becoming bitter or getting even, getting angry, lying, cheating, stealing, you can name it, on and on and on. You see, we're tempted when we're under pressure. And it's inevitable that we're all tempted. The second, tempta uh, the second thing is temptation never comes from God. Temptation never comes from God. James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, there's an epidemic in our society today of the fact that we don't like to take responsibility. That, that we like to pass the blame. We don't want to take responsibility for our actions in our society today. You know, you get a bad grade in school, well, it's the teacher's fault. I mean, if she wouldn't give such hard tests or she wouldn't give so much homework or, you know, whatever, I, I wouldn't have gotten that F if the teacher would have taught me better. Or you get angry and it was because she made me mad and, and I wouldn't have gotten angry if she wouldn't have made me mad. Or, you know, it goes on and on and on. Everybody blames everyone. You see, everyone blames everyone, even God. Now, blaming God <clears throat> goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. That's where it started, in the garden. You know, there's Adam and Eve, they're living in the garden, they got all this stuff going on, and as soon as they heard the sound of God walking in the garden, they took off and hid. Now, we're not much different than Adam and Eve. You know, when, when we messed up and things are not going so well, we start hiding from God. We don't pray. I'm not going to pray because God will remind me what I did. Or we, or we don't read our Bible, or we stay away from church because we're hiding from God, in a sense. And that's what Adam and Eve are doing. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? Now, that, that just sounds so ridiculous to me. God knew where he was at. Hey, Adam, where are you? Adam said, 
I heard, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. And, and so I hid. And God said, well, who told you you were naked? He said, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Now Adam's blaming God. He's saying, God, if you wouldn't have put this beautiful woman here with me, I wouldn't have ate of that apple. It's your fault, God, for putting the woman here. I was doing just fine by myself, but you came along, God, and said I needed to help her. And so, God, if you wouldn't have put her here, I wouldn't have ate that. You know, so Adam is blaming God. You see, God does allow temptation. But he never targets you. He never directs it at you. You see, God does not lead us into sin. Look at John, 1 John 1, 5. The Bible says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. In other words, there's no sin at all in God. You see, what this means is that God cannot hang out with sin. God won't hang out with sin. He cannot stand it. Matter of fact, sin makes God sick. It, it makes him sick. And nor does he lead us into sin. We sin by our own choice. In our text, Jesus tells us that we should not be deceived about temptation. You see, and that is that God is not the source of our temptation. God is the source of all good things in our life. Temptation is also a personal issue. James says, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desires, those desires that we have in our heart, he says, by our own evil desires, he is dragged away and enticed. Now back to the garden. After God questioned Adam, he turned to Eve and he asked her, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent, he deceived me and I ate. Now what Eve is saying is this. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you have ever said the devil made me do it? That's what Eve's basically saying. James says, oh, no, 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 no. The source of temptation is our own evil desires in our heart. You see, we have these evil desires that are lurking in our heart. And James places the responsibility for temptation squarely on me, squarely on you. On, our, on each of us individually. And when you and I choose to give into temptation, it's a personal issue. You cannot blame anyone else. You see, nothing outside of ourselves is strong enough to cause us to sin, not even Satan. Next, temptation has a pattern. Now, James uses fishing or hunting uh, illustration here to explain how temptation works. Now, I chose the fishing because I'm more... Uh, I'm more acquainted with fishing than I am hunting. And it starts in verse 14, this process, this pattern. It starts in verse 14 and it begins uh, and it carries out in verse 15. The Bible says, but each one is tempted, I read this earlier, when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth, birth to death. Now here's the process, step, step one. Boom, the bait is dropped. The temptation, the bait is dropped. Step two, the inner desire, the evil in my heart is attracted to the bait. Step three, 
Sin occurs when I give into it. I say, oh, I like that bait. I'm attracted to it, and then I give in it, give into it, and we take the bait. Sin, uh, step four, sin ends up with tragic consequences. Now, the word dragged away carries with it the idea of baiting a trap, and the word enticed in the original Greek is meant to bait a hook. Uh, you got to bait a hook if you're going to catch a fish. Now, when you fish, you have to provide a bait that entices the fish. Now, if you're fishing on the Shenandoah River, if you'll get a two-inch chartreuse grub with a pumpkin tail, uh, tail on it, that will entice smallmouth bass every time. It's a killer. And so you have to get a bait that will entice, at least it used to be. I, you know, I usually just sit around a campfire and eat now, but uh, <laughs> here it is. <laughs> Here's this fish. This fish is there all safe under the water, under the rock. And he's doing, and that fish is doing whatever fish do. I'm not quite sure what fish do, but, you know, they're just sitting there. I mean, I've never been there to see them, but it just seems like when I see them on television, like, uh, what was that movie, The Little Fish? But anyway, what is it? Emo. Emo. I mean, he's like, but here's this fish, and he's, he's safe, and he's doing whatever fish do. And then, boom, the bait is dropped. You know, oh, that looks like a good place. And you drop the bait. You drop that little uh, um, piece of bait right in front of the fish, and the fish goes, wow, I guess. He goes, wow, I I'd like to have me some of that. And he's sitting there, he says, should I, should I? Mm, that's looking good. He looks all around. You know how fish do. Is anybody watching me? I don't think they do that. But then the fish has a decision to make. He has to make a decision. Should I stay here under this safe rock where everything's good and water's not, you know, moving too fast? I'm right on the edge of the action, or should I take the bait? And we all know what happens if he chooses to take the bait, right? Here's what happens. <laughs> yep. Don't you? I, let, I found a picture with the eyeballs because I like the owl. <laughs> but that's exactly what happens to us. That's exactly the way temptation works with us. We are confronted with the bait. And man, it looks good. I mean, it feels good. I mean, it, it's enticing. And, and, and the point is, we have a choice. As we stare at the bait dangling on the hook, to bite or not to bite. Sin occurs at step three. We, we can cut and run or we can take the bait. You see, because... To be tempted is not a sin. To be tempted is not a sin. The Bible says Jesus was tempted. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way. You say, well, Jesus never had to deal with this. The Bible says he was tempted in every way that we're tempted. Jesus was tempted. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, just as we are, no, no less, no more, yet he did not sin. So it can be done. Now, now I'm going to give you some practical ways to handle temptation when you're under pressure. First, don't play around with temptation. Don't play around with it. The Bible says, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer, your, the, offer, your, offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Now, in this verse, God gives two commands. First of all, he gives a negative one. 
Do not offer the parts of your body to sin. In other words, when the bait is there, don't offer yourself to sin. Don't offer parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. And then a positive command. But present yourselves to God. Present yourself to God. Offer the parts of your body to him. Now here's what we gotta know. You and I cannot, we cannot peacefully coexist with temptation. We cannot we cannot, we cannot peacefully in our relationship with the Lord coexist with temptation. So don't play around with it. Now let's face it, we all tend to play around with things that make us weak. We stay right on the edge. Now there are things that uh, we shouldn't play around with. It's like uh, the overweight man I read about, and it's not me, okay? Uh, I know you're looking and saying it must be about him and he don't want to tell us. I read about this week. He was trying to lose weight. And he was so serious because uh, every morning when he went to work, he drove to a certain bakery and he got him a big old pastry as he went to work. And so he was so serious that in order to avoid that bakery, he would take a different route uh, and not drive by his favorite bakery. But one morning, he arrived at work and he was carrying a huge, huge juicy looking, delicious looking cinnamon bun. Big old honking thing. And he arrived at work and, 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 and he, and he was started explaining to his coworkers that he accidentally drove by the bakery. And he says he drove by the bakery there in the window was a stack of warm cinnamon buns. And he, he said, I felt in my heart that this was no accident that I drove by here and that those cinnamon buns were in the window. He said, so I prayed, Lord, if you want me to have one of those hot, delicious cinnamon buns, let me find a parking place right up front in the bakery. <laughs> now, that's how to pray, right? If there's no parking place, okay, that's not me and the Lord. And sure enough, on the eighth time around the block, <laughs> Right up front, in the front of the bakery, there's a parking place. So it must have been of the Lord. <laughs> and he got his cinnamon bun. You know, we, we tend to play around with temptation. Hanging out, right on the edge, wanting to see just how close we can get to it, to sin without sinning. And we hang right on the edge. We drive around the block eight times. But here's what I mean. If you go to certain movies that mess you up and make you weak, you're playing with temptation. If you're hanging out with certain people and every time you hang out with them, they mess you up, you're playing around temptation when you hang out with them. You see, if, if you struggle with premarital sex, don't play around with temptation and don't hang around people by yourself with the opposite sex. If you have a problem with gambling, don't hang out at the casino. If you have a problem with drinking, don't go where they drink or serve alcohol. If you have a problem with overeating, don't go to the buffet. <laughs> I got to tell you a quick story. This is not, I'm going to need an extra minute because this is a funny story. <laughs> I worked, this just popped in my head. I haven't told anybody else that. I worked at Kenworth Trucks and we sold tru uh, trucks, parts, and service. And we had these two old boys, Leroy and Charlie Props. Now, Leroy and Charlie Props were big old truck boys, and they wore 
white t-shirts. They always came in and their hair was all kind of messed up because they'd been driving all night or whatever. And they had grease on their t-shirt, you know. And I said, hey, Leroy and Charlie, what you boys been up to? Because I can redneck with them too. <laughs> and they said, well, buddy, the darndest thing happened. He said, we just got kicked out of a buffet. <laughs> I said, well, boys, what happened? They said, we ate everything on the buffet except the lettuce. And he said, the manager came and said, we're not bringing anything out, else out and put on the buffet until y'all get out of here. <laughs> so anyway, I don't know why you It always just strikes me funny. Hey, are we, we cleaned up the buffet. <laughs> we ate all the buffet. <laughs> if you have a problem with credit card debt, get rid of your credit card. You know, if it, you see, if temptation to sin is nothing to play around with. Take King David, for example. King David, if you know about him, he played around with temptation. You know how he did that? He knew exactly what time Bathsheba's bath time was. And Bathsheba, every day, would come out on the roof and she'd take a bath. Well, old David played around with temptation when he went up on the roof at bath time to have his quiet time. And when he went up on the roof, he was playing around with things that made him weak. Don't be foolish. If you know what makes you weak, you got to know what makes you weak. You got to know what, you, what the bait is. You got to know, and so you don't play around with it. You're, if you do, you're playing right in the hands of Satan. Next, guard your heart. Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. Why should I guard my heart? Because the Bible says, uh, from, uh, far from the heart come evil thoughts. Now listen to this. From the heart come murder, adultery, and all other sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. You see, we work hard. Some of you do. I don't have to work hard. But some of you work hard to look good. I just get up looking good. But, you know, some of you have to get up and work hard to look good. But our hearts, what's in our heart is more important than how we look. You see, the condition of our heart will come to surface when we're under pressure. The condition, what's in our heart, will come to surface when I'm under pressure, and it will become a major temptation in my life. And the Bible says, do not give the devil a foothold in your life. Well, you say, buddy, what's a foothold? It's that bait. It's when the, it's when the Bible, or it's when the devil, uh, when Satan finds a, a little space in your life that he can hang on to because he wants you to sin. He wants you to fall. The Bible, seek, the Bible says that the devil, our enemy, is seeking to destroy us and devour us. He wants you dead. Honestly, it's not a game. And the devil establishes a foothold in your life once he discovers your bait, once he gets something there to hold on to. And so what is the bait in your life? What is the foothold in your life? What is that bait that you're attracted to? You see, you got to identify that or we'll fall for it every time when the pressure's on. Whatever it is, the devil's going to start whispering things like this. You know, you deserve a little pleasure in your life. I mean, you, you deserve a little comfort in your life. You need something for excitement. I mean, I mean, Brian, you need something for excitement. After all, you're married to Chris. I mean, you've got to be able to get out the house sometime. Amen. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I love you, Chris. 
I was looking to and fro who I could hit on today. <laughs> I started to use you, Jamie, but I changed my mind. So, <laughs> But you know what I mean. You deserve a little comfort in your life. All that bad stuff that's happening in your life, you need something for comfort. You need something for relief. Just take a little pill. You know, just a little relief. Get you a little drink. You know, get you, you need something for excitement. You need something to calm you down a little bit. With everything bad in your life, you really need just a little pleasure, man. Go out and have a good time. You deserve it. Go out and just get smashed. You deserve it. You know, just need a little pleasure. So you click on a pornographic website because your heart is still filled with sexual immorality or, or, you, or you, you get drunk because you can't stay in the pressure or you tell a lie to get out of it or you, or you steal something to relieve your financial pressure or you get even with somebody. I'll show them, I'll get even. Or you get angry at them because it's in your heart. It's right there on the surface. Whatever's in your heart when you're under pressure it's going to come to the surface. You see, you need to know the condition of your heart. Next, remind yourself of the painful ending. Now, that's what Moses did when he chose life with God's people over the luxury of life with the Egyptians. The Bible says, by faith, when Moses had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh. Think of that. He, was, he could have been the son of Pharaoh and had anything he wanted in his life, but he said no. He didn't take the bait. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than, listen to this, enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. You see, sin's pleasurable, isn't it? It is. I'll say it. Y'all don't want to admit it, but it is. You know, uh, that's why, that, you know, it is because that's why people risk their reputations. Because it's fun. They risk their careers, even their families, just to taste a little pleasure. Sin is fun. And it does feel good. And it sure does, but only for a short time. You see, committing adultery may be seen pleasurable at the time, but when your marriage is destroyed and you only get to see the kids on the weekend, you find out that the pain sure has outweighed the pleasure. Or partying with your friends, man, I'm just going out and party this weekend, forget all, everything. It may seem good at the time until you get a DUI or worse. You see, the pleasure is not worth it. Sure, David experienced pleasure that night with Bathsheba. Woo, he had a good time for however long. But you think it was worth it when his child died? You think the sin, the pleasure was worth it when his child died as a result? You see, James says, then after desire is conceived, here's what it gives. It gives birth to sin. And listen to this. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death, to pain, to suffering. That's why you need wisdom. You see, sin is all fun and games until someone you love gets hurt. So, so when the pleasure of sin seems so appealing and the bait is looking so good, remember, it only lasts for a short time. And it ends in pain. It ends in pain. Satan doesn't tell you it's only for a short time. And that's going to end in pain. Finally, now this is the most important step because you will be tempted to say when you leave here today, buddy, you're full of stuff and I can handle this on my own. And I would say to you, if you could overcome temptation on your own, why haven't you done it a long time ago? 
Why do you keep falling for the same silly tricks of the devil? You see, because you can't. All the resolutions, all the desire, all the willpower, all the whatever in the world won't change the condition of your heart and your lifestyle will not change. Our lifestyle will not change until the condition of our heart changes and we have absolutely no power over the condition of our heart with willpower and strength. None. I mean, how many New Year's resolutions have you made and they lasted? And how long did they last? You know, I've lost 500 pounds <laughs> in my lifetime. I was a big old boy. I mean, over time, I'd make these New Year's resolutions. I threw away $1,000 worth of cigarettes quitting. I quit today. Throw it out the window. You can't. Willpower will not change. And I'm just using those because they just are there, okay? You need God's power. You need God's power. And how do you get God's power? You surrender your life fully to God. You have to surrender your life fully to God. You can't be Lord anymore. I can't be Lord anymore. I can't call the shots anymore. I can't be the Lord of my life and expect to have power in my life because if I'm Lord of my life, the power I have is my power. And my power, my power is going to fail. It, I can hold out for a while. But eventually... I'll give in. Sometimes we can do it. Sometimes we can't. A good friend of mine recently asked me, buddy, you talk about surrender all the time. How do you surrender? How do you surrender? I can only tell you what God says. So the Bible says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. I want you to take your everyday, ordinary life, you know, your sleeping and eating and going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. The Bible says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Paul said, instead, fix your attention on God, and here's what will happen. You'll be changed. You'll be changed. Your heart will change. Your motives will change. Your desires will change. Your wants will change. What once seemed important to you will no longer be important to you. What once you gave into and the bait that used to attract you no longer is attractive to you. Because you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what God wants, in other words, be obedient, and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you and he develops well-formed maturity in you. What Paul is saying, what's he saying here? Paul is saying today, when you're under pressure and, and, and the bait is dangling in front of you, I mean, it's right there. You're tempted. You're under pressure. It's right in front of you. He's saying, take your ordinary life, take your life and place it in the offering. Place it in the offering. You see, we think of the offering, around here we think of the buckets. We think of the offering, the buckets coming by and we put our offering in there or we go out to the cash machine or the, the uh, debit machine, credit card machine, and we do that. We think of that. We think of the bucket. We think of the buckets, buckets coming by. But what God is saying, he's saying, keep your wallet in your pocket. Ladies, keep your purse in your pocket. Don't get your credit card out. Don't get your debit card out. Don't click the green button online 
That's not what he's saying. He's saying, give that up. You see, God doesn't want your money. He wants you. He wants you. He wants me in the bucket. He wants my whole life. You see, when God has all of you, he'll have the money that he wants from you. You see, God says, give yourself completely to me as an offering. What does that mean? Well, it means give your whole self to God. Well, what does that mean? It means that you give God your, your past. God, I give you my past. God, I give you my future. I give you my job. I give you my children. I give you my kids. I give you my wife. Some of you like to do that. And, you know, God, I, I just give you everything. I give you my whole life. I put it in the bucket. God, I give you my dreams. God, you can have all my dreams, all of my wants, all of my desires, everything that I am, everything I'll ever be. God, it's in the bucket. It's in the bucket. I've given you my whole life. God, however you choose to use me, God, use me. God, if you want me to go to Africa, I'll go to Africa. God, if you want me to teach school at this inner city school, I'll teach school at inner city school. God, whatever you want me to do, I will do because I've given you my whole life. And I'm saying, God, I'm no longer in charge of my life. You're Lord, I'm not. That's what surrendering to God means. And it means every time it crawls off the altar, you crawl back in the bucket. We talked about it at Men's Advance last week. You put down that stake and you say, today I'm driving the stake in the ground and, and I'm saying, God, this is my all today. October 18th, I surrendered all. I got in the bucket. And when the devil comes along and he sticks that bait out in front of you, you say, God, no, I'm not, or devil, I'm not taking that. Because on October 18th, I told you I'd surrender my life to you. Fall, 1987, I said, God, I'm in the bucket. I'm in the bucket. If you want me to be a pastor, I'll be a pastor. If that's what you want for my life. A few years later, God, if you want me to go to Nigeria, which I didn't want to go to Nigeria, God, I'll go to Nigeria. You know why? Because I'm in the bucket. I'm in the bucket. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about obedience. I'm talking about power. I'm talking about James, what James talked about, or Timothy talked about in 1st, 2 Timothy 1, 7. You see, now instead of hearts filled with evil thoughts and desires, the Bible says our hearts are filled with the Spirit of God. The Bible says the Spirit God gives us, listen to this, the Spirit, I know I gotta get done. The Spirit God gives us the Redskins are going to lose day anyway. The spirit God gives us Amen. does not make us fearful. Hear that? The spirit that God gives us does not make us fearful, but he gives us a spirit of what? Power. Power. He gives us a spirit of love. He gives us a spirit of self-discipline. The discipline, the control to say, no, I don't have to give in to everything that the enemy puts before me. I've got power to say no. And I've got discipline because the Spirit lives in me. When we're fully surrendered, we don't have to live in fear of the enemy and the bait because we're filled with God's power. We're filled with God's love. What does that mean? It means I can say no. It means I can love that person that treats me like crap. That I can forgive that person that's hurt me. 
that I've got power to have discipline, to do what God wants me to do and live the kind of life that God desires for me. And by the way, God want, desires us to live the kind of life that he desires us to live because he wants us to have the abundant life, not living in regret and fear and doubt and muck and all that. You see, that's what it means to sur surrender yourself. So when you're under pressure, you're under the pressure of temptation, we can say no. And you know what? You can't do that with willpower. Only God can cleanse your heart. Only God can change your motives. Only God can change your desires. Only God can do what we cannot do. You know, it's okay not to be perfect at Salem Fields Community Church. It's a great place not to be perfect. Certainly gay and I'm not perfect. I'm a lot more perfect than she is, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's kind of the other way around. But we've all blown it when we've been tempted. We've all blown it. We've all, at some point, maybe even last night, took the bait. We took the bait. And that's why we need his power to resist the bait and overcome the temptations that we all will face and not give in to sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. I thank you for every person that's here, those online, those sitting here today. God, I ask right now as your Holy Spirit would just, just fall on us, Lord. Lord, we need you now. And God, I just pray for every person in this room, in the cafe, online, I pray right now we'll just be obedient to your voice. Lord, there's some here today that maybe don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, with you. And I pray for that person right now that they'll just say, yes, God, I invite you into my life to be my Savior. That's a prayer and that's talking to you as well. You can invite Jesus. And maybe you're here and you say, wow, I've given to temptation. I'm a believer, but I have no victory. I just, I give in. I try, try, try really hard. And I fail, fail, fail. And I try, try, try. And I fail, fail, fail. You can have victory. You can have victory. You can have victory. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for us this morning, God, that we'll be the people of God, that this, we will be the generation that serves you with our whole heart. You know, there's a man named David. We talked about him today, and he struggled. He struggled with temptation and sin his whole life. And he asked God a question. And you can look up at the screen. And here's the question. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. We're helpless, aren't we? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, the one who does not trust in an idol or the bait, the thing that draws us away from God or swear by a false God. That's who will stand before God. You see, when we surrender to God, what we're doing is we're humbly bowing our hearts and we're bending our knees to God and we're saying to God, I am absolutely helpless. God, I'm absolutely helpless without the power of God in my life. 
And we ask God to give us clean hands and give us a pure heart as we surrender to God. And we make a commitment this morning, God, I will not give in to the bait. I will not give in to the idols. I won't give in to another person. But God, I will humble my heart and bend my knee and surrender my whole life to you. Let's stand as we worship together. You know, I, I, I prayed this morning that there would be some men, man, that would just come and, and, and just really settle the issue. Man, last week, men knelt right on a concrete floor. I was, there was one guy I was praying for specifically. Boom, kneel right there on the concrete floor and surrender his whole life to God. And I'm asking you today, is there, that, is there that thing that you're giving into, that bait that's dropped before you? And every time it's dropped, nearly every time you surrender, you give into it. And I'm asking you today to bow your heart and bend your knee before God. Women, I'm asking you, is there things in your life today that just knock you out every time? If that's you, I'm just asking you this morning to either surrender right here, surrender at your seat, kneeling there, or just sitting right there. But God has more for us than we're getting and living. That's about all I can say. Father, have your way in Jesus' name.